Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Looking great, whether on stage or off, is important. Menagee Advanced Men's Skin Care is a line of professional skin care products formulated to keep your skin healthy and performance ready. Trusted by professionals who need to maintain healthy skin, Menagee is a must-have for those whose appearance matters. Go to www.menskincare.com, that's menskincare with one S, and use code COD30 to receive 30% savings on all individual products. Your skin will thank you. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we talk with Chris Solis, a world champion beatboxer, and b-boy Anthony Vito Rodriguez, creative directors behind the awe-inspiring new work, The Missing Element. Created at the peak of the pandemic in two works-in-process bubble residencies, The Missing Element is an immersive experience exploring the universal elements of earth, wind, fire, water, and space. During the performance, street dancers and beatboxers utilize their abilities to embark on an adventure of sound and dance. All music and sound featured is 100% human generated. Today we talk with Chris and Anthony about their backgrounds and their respective art forms, how they first started working together, the impetus behind the missing element, and the creative process. Catch the culmination of this work May 15th and 16th, 2022 at the Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum in New York City. Tickets available online only at guggenheim.org or click the link in the description of this episode. Chris and Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you guys on. We are Bunheads, we'll let you know. We're ballet dancers. It's what we're well versed in, but we love the opportunity to chat with people on this podcast that do other things because we always find it so interesting. And of course, anything that's happening at Works in Process at the Guggenheim is stuff that we want to hear about. So we're really excited to have you both on today. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, and we are excited to talk about all of the stuff. <laughs> 
Well, then <laughs> all, without, all for, of, without yeah. further ado, let's do, let's dive into all the stuff. <laughs> all the stuff. All of it. So um, let's start with you, Chris. Um, yeah, and sure. Hear a little bit about um, when you first became uh, introduced to beatboxing and what made mm. you curious to try it for yourself. I love this question <laughs> because um, I think, uh, well, first of all, again, thank you so much for having us. It's really an honor to be here on the podcast today. I love podcasts, so this is like really cool that we're on a podcast. Um, so in terms of beatboxing, I think the first time I ever, it was always just like really present in like pop culture growing up, whether it was like Will Smith or like... Um, Michael Winslow was really the first person I remember from Police Academy, and he there was a scene in, where he was like playing the national anthem, and in in the scene like all the power goes out, and he's like ah, ah I could take care of the music, and he was like and he did like the electric <laughs> guitar thing, and I was like uh -huh. oh, that was super cool. So I didn't really like take it seriously until probably junior high school, where um I loved playing video games, still do. I don't do it as much uh, because I'm just beatboxing a lot now. <laughs> um, when I play this game, SSX Tricky, uh, it was a snowboarding game. And the first level was uh, the the music in it. It started like, this is Razel. And I was like, what the heck? This is so cool. I just liked the music. So I went on uh -huh. to LimeWire. Shout out to Remember Lime. that? RIP. Yeah. All right. RIP to my first computer, really. Right. Oh, all those viruses. Yeah. All the viruses. And I was like, what is this blue screen? No. Mom, what did I do? I didn't know. But anyway, um, downloaded that album and then found Rozelle. And Rozelle had an album out called Make Music 2000. And then the last track was called The Four Elements. And it was two DJs and two beatboxers, one of them being Rozelle and also uh, Kenny Muhammad. And I couldn't tell the difference. And I was like, whoa, I was hooked. So from that point on, I wanted to really, you know, delve deep. And the internet was a new thing, right? We're like, wow, internet, you can search whatever you want with knowledge. So I was like, how to beatbox? Let me to humanbeatbox.co.uk. And there was this pastor who started this forum over in the UK. And he was like, I will give everyone a free... <laughs> I was trying to access my British accent. And then there were several <laughs> accents that tried to come out. <laughs> Uh, he's like, hello, everyone. This is my. That's not how he sounds. Uh, <laughs> but oh, this is how to beatbox. And I watched all those videos, and then I was just hooked from there. And I just never stopped. That was That's wild. So, did you have any formal training? Like, what is the formal training? What? How would you even go so, about that? Tell us about how that works. Yeah, in terms of formal training, what's interesting is I grew up playing clarinet and saxophone, and I went all the way through college doing like conservatory stuff mm, okay. you know i was actually going to go to purchase for my undergrad and then fun fact because uh, the, all the teachers at purchase were teaching also at juilliard at the time at least the woodwind faculty i was like mm. oh man mm -hmm. do i really want to study like orchestral music mm -hmm. like and so you know in my teenage angst i was like you know what let me just go as far away as possible and I went to like my third choice school, which was Fredonia. And then I studied music education, which I was so glad that I did uh, because it gave me kind of the room to not only like still kind of, you know, work on like my craft as like a 
instrumentalist, but like I could explore other things, which is also beatboxing. But what I learned over the years is all of that formal training helped give me the rigor in order to like practice. And I just took a lot of those uh, conceptual things that I learned uh, through high school and conservatory to really like hone in on how to practice my beatboxing. So that I use the formal training concepts in this thing that I just love to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still do that to this day. So, right. Yeah. Aside from carrying that over, were there other benefits um, to having, you know, this um, education with a clarinet and saxophone? Like, does, like I'm thinking in terms of stamina, like you must have lungs of steel mm. and that probably comes into play for beatboxing, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's <laughs> lungs of steel. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's such a funny, uh, it's just, the, the image is really it's oh, steel lungs um <laughs> sorry it's so funny um i mean as ballet dancers i think we think about that right michael because it's like when oh, we're yeah. really good shape we're like ooh, our like our stamina are, is so are, are great, great. And our, we have lungs of steel so <laughs> yeah that's something i was gonna bring up because you know as you know and i'm i'm a layman when it comes to uh ballet dancing but you all have to regulate your breathing depending on the choreography so mm -hmm. that it doesn't get in the way of your lines or movement and mm -hmm. tell me if i'm being crazy no you're a no, totally right yeah. yes. yes i learned stuff <laughs> um but it's the same thing it's more about you know like the breath regulation than it is the actual um steel <laughs> mm -hmm. but the steel <laughs> part is important like you have to develop the the stamina over right. time so you know we're doing definitely long tones like working on our tone when it comes to like uh you know how i want to sound on both clarinet and saxophone and that really carried over into like my beatboxing because mm -hmm. like truly we're also working on our singing it's just all the elements that come together mm -hmm. to make music with just your body so mm -hmm. none of those mm -hmm. things are you know just breathing is breathing so any way to work on breathing whether it was like learning alexander technique or like how to interpret music using like del crows or whatever um everything was like all those things kind of like meshed in order to like support my breathing and learn how to regulate and all those things kind of came together hmm. uh and so i could i could beatbox forever now which is <laughs> i'm thinking too it's interesting of course this is where the dancing element comes in too, why they maybe complement each other so well. Like you just mentioned making music with your body, which is of yeah. course what dancers also are doing and, you know, right. representing the music. So it's very similar. So let's transition Anthony and hear a little bit from you about how you got your initial start in dance and became interested in pursuing that. Definitely. Thank you for having me and Chris on first. again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, uh, how did I get into dance? Well, that's a, it's not like I went to anything formal. Uh, I grew up in Astoria and I had some neighborhood friends and they were um, identical twins and we grew up together and just like, we, they'd come to my house, play video games. I'd go to their house, play video games. Feeling this through line Very, of video games you know. <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> well, we're a bunch of nerds, it's great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, uh, growing up with them, their father was a breaker in the 80s, New York City breaker. And hanging out with them one time, they just showed me a bunch of the videos that he showed them. And it was like Beach Street, Wild Style, Breaking 1 and 2. So it was like a lot of old school hip hop mm -hmm. uh, videos. And we just watched them, imitated them, 
and just like carried on into like that other world, like, you know, Kazan, and LimeWire downloading breakbeats. And uh, yeah, so it was, uh, that's how I got into knowing about breakdancing and liking it and wanting to do it just in like junior high school, like into high school. And uh, yeah, that's like how I got into yeah. it. Um, and yeah, that was, I've been breaking ever since. I didn't really have, um, it was other, other than that, YouTube came out and then I started learning from that, but um, mainly going through uh, like going to practice spots in community centers as well. There's a lot of free centers, community centers in New York city that we would just hop on the train after school and just go to. And then through those uh, community centers, we met other crews and through those crews like Supreme beings, they would tell us about, Oh, there's these hip hop events. And we're like, okay. We go show up. And we learned about like the whole culture and underground community of hip hop, where there's b-boy jams, DJs, graffiti artists, MCs. And yeah, that's how I got myself into the hip hop com- culture and, and dance. Right. When was there a moment for each of you where you started to realize like, oh, I can do this like as for a living rather than just like, oh, this is something I do for fun. And, you know, like what was your first paid gig, let's say? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I think I was 15 and I was going to uh, this church uh, out in Queens at the time. And uh, I got a check for $250. Nice. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) You gave me money for beatboxing? That's silly. I feel because it feels like you're stealing almost. It's like this doesn't make sense. Like I'm going, and you're like, "Yeah, my God, that's so cool." Here's money, and I was like, "What? I I'm just here. I'm just existing, and I'm doing something I like." Right. Um, but truly, I don't think I saw as a viable way to make a living until 2019, when ironically I got fired from my teaching job. Uh, because I was performing too much, uh huh. You know, the, so and and <laughs> so it's just like such a funny story. Like that was also the year that I got to like meet Yo Yo Ma and play at Lincoln Center, and then do Carnegie Hall with my friend Gene, and like it was like such a weird and awesome year. But I got mm-hmm. let go because I was trying to do both. You know, I grew up in a really um uh conservative household i'm first generation filipino and grew, growing up in queens so it's just like yeah you know like my frame of reference for life was just like okay get a job health insurance and mm-hmm. like you know just save up a bunch of money get married and have babies right <laughs> like that and that was that was kind of the the narrative there but like um yeah life was kind of weird when people's like all my beatbox friends started hanging out at my house. And then I was like, well, they're going out in the street and making money. And like, I don't know if I could do that. So I'm going to keep teaching, but I'm also going to practice at the same time. <laughs> so I tried to do both. And then eventually one was just like, Meh. you know, like, thank goodness that I had all of these incredible people around me that uh, are just like superstars in the world of beatboxing right now, you know, because mm-hmm. um, they inspired me to continue on my craft even when I didn't believe like I could make a living doing it to the point where when <laughs> my actual nine to five was like, Hey, you know what? Just, just go do that. Yeah. I was like, Oh no, can I do it? And like, it's, 
you know, I'm I'm doing it. So right. it wasn't even by choice, technically. Yeah. I mean, it technically was a choice, but. <laughs> so Anthony, how about you? I, I always find this so interesting when we hear about this kind of like social element of dance. Like for us, you know, it's it, when we grew up and we were dancing, it was so structured. And then to hear it, like to hear that kind of structure, that's so much more open and you're learning from each other. Mm-hmm. When did you kind of start along the same lines then? making it a career and finding these gigs and, and taking it a little bit more in that professional route? Um, it, well, I've been dancing since I was 14 and maybe when I got into college is when I, I started realizing um, I was getting a lot of opportunities to, to just like expand my style in college. And then also uh, I was just getting opportunities to travel and perform. And that was very new to me because I was more in a, like <clears throat> when I started out, I was more in the battle scene, the more hip hop, like just mm-hmm. jams and going to travel the world with your crew. And that was where I was more in first. And then once that kind of like changed and that kind of got into more, like there was more sponsors and more individual uh, focus in battles. I got um, asked to work at the box, which was like a theater club. And I kind of just, like just changed my course from battling to theatrical performance. And that was just uh, when I started making. That's so cool. I mean, the box is such an iconic New York venue. So that was, I mean, that's a pretty awesome way to like get your start and in um, making. Yeah, it was, it was surreal for me. I didn't know what it was at the time. Like for me, it was, I was like 20, about to be 21 Mm -hmm. and I just turned 21 and I'm like, okay, um, I'm in Hunter College studying nutrition, just trying to do, what, uh, I'm physically active, so I might as well do, like, you know, something to apply with health sciences. Mm-hmm. And I have this very, like, fond memory of, I'm, like, on a, I have, like, a Orgo Chem book, and I'm going onto a plane to Dubai to perform as soon as I uh-huh. like. And I was like, I don't think this is going right. to work. This is not going to work. So, no. so it was a, it was a very surreal moment for me where I was like, um, okay, school is not like school is important, but these opportunities aren't always going right. to be there, and my body isn't always going to be right. there. So I was just like, I asked my parents, like, what what do I like? How do I approach this? They're like, your body's your body, and you know, take these opportunities. And I was like, okay. Cool. Yeah. I think that's a good, good idea. And, uh, that's, that's how I got into the, like, yeah, but, but I used to also, um, when I was younger, like, uh, I did do some street hitting when I was uh-huh. really young, like when I was 15, 16 and it was, it was physically exhausting, but you make pretty good money. Like if you're in the right spots and that was a hustle and people, it is a hustle still right. to this day. Busking is a big right, thing. Right. How did um, these traveling opportunities yeah. come about? So you're saying you're like with your crew, would you consider that to be like kind of like your company in a way, like you travel together and you get these gigs as a group? Is that, how does it work? It's so interesting. Um, Well, for, for me, I had a crew, like um, it was again with my friends growing up. So like we kind of formed a hip hop Mm -hmm. crew because like at the time we grew up with like a lot of gang culture and just a lot of uh, things like that. So it was like, we didn't want to be in a gang. We were kind of nerdy. We're like, okay, what's the, what's a hip hop thing? Zulu nation. Nah, let's do our own. And we, in a sense, like that's kind of how in high school, we kind of like took the steps to form. Like we had graffiti artists, we had DJs, we had other things in breaking, mm-hmm. but it was just like high school. Right. And then from there, we just really practiced the breaking grew mostly. And then for 
from there we got into battles really well and, and started that's how you start going from like uh staying in new york battles to going to let's go see right. cool from there there's international qualifiers and then wow. it just that's how the like lot you climb the ladder and in, in what we right, do right. um and then you just get noticed online and you, that was like the whole shift of youtube helping oh, us I bet. yeah like and getting recognized right. so, so when did the two of you meet and did you kind of know immediately that you might like to collaborate you could take this one in okay so um it's uh we met i met him through being introduced to him uh from kenny urban and his crew and that was kind of like the first exchange and i met kenny at a mitzvah and we were both performing at a bar mitzvah and it was a very interesting like uh, run of show like where it was a bunch of performances and stuff like that specialty performances and uh we were just like why don't we just both do something kind of together because we're you know we could yeah. do that <laughs> and um and it worked out really well and we made a good connection and i just i was like hey i was like hey i'm driving back do you need a lift and i gave him a lift home and yeah after that i got introduced to he's like hey, you gotta come check out my crew of beatboxers and and um come hang out next time <laughs> and i took his offer on that and I went in and I just hung out with the beatbox house at the beatbox house at the time. And it was just like this apartment in Brooklyn with all these amazing beatboxers. I'm like, Holy crap. This is like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, well, hmm, what, 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 how, how else could like, what, what can we do with this? You know, in my mind. And I'm like, I should introduce him to cash. And then I introduced him to cash and, and just we all, I also formed like had like I'm always in contact with amazing dancers throughout my mm. career. And I'm just like just had this inner gut feeling we needed to make something. What year was that? And that's how we met. This was um 2018, Chris. Okay. Yeah, so a few years ago. Uh, let me not let me, like 20 yeah, years. I, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. This is pretty recent where I've been in like like hanging out with the beatbox mm -hmm. house. And I mean, the first rendition of the, yeah, 2018 was when we first did the missing element at house. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and that was kind of the, the spark of, um, before that we used to, I used to throw other hip hop events um, and have the beatbox house come out and perform. And that's how we also like integrated a relationship of just making some mm -hmm. stuff. And then, yeah, after that, it's just been such a great relationship. And then Chris approached me with the, you can hire him and I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear about I'm that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I got to write a piece with my friend, Caleb. Shout out to Caleb Teicher. We've uh, we've had Caleb on our pod. Yeah. Oh, really? No yeah. way. Shout out. Yeah. yeah so. It was awesome. Caleb changed my life. <laughs> uh, in that we wrote, you know, we met at a really shitty corporate gig in Miami. <laughs> uh, All great as relationships those things go. start in Miami, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, and we just hit it off as humans, and our philosophies uh, with our art lined up. And essentially, over I think it was well, when did we do that. Two thousand sixteen was when we met, and then through two or three years later, we did Fall for Dance, mm -hmm. where we wrote bzz, um, got you know, rave reviews, which is awesome. Cool. Standing ovations for the thing that uh, we wrote. And it was one of my 
first checks as like a co-writer on something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, my gosh, uh, this is crazy. So we did fall. Then they want an extended version the next year at Fall for Dance. So it was like 20 minutes. Then we did 20. Uh, I think it was like 28 minutes was the. And then we went after, I think it was Misty, Misty Cole. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember her uh, just like, good luck. And I was like, oh my gosh, you are amazing. And you're like, legendary. <laughs> this is crazy. We went on. And people love love the piece. Um, and then, you know, uh, that's when we did Lincoln Center and stuff. And then Caleb was uh, asked to put on the gala or just pull a bunch of musicians for the gala at the Guggenheim in 2018, I believe, in, in December. And then I was asked to open with Latasha Barnes. Uh, and we did like a a thing. It was just like a, I did like <laughs> Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, but I did like a trap version of it. It was great. Um, <laughs> you know, Ben Folds was uh, also there doing a thing with Kayla with Conrad Tao. It was it was just an amazing evening. And then Duke approached me after and was like, "So what are you working on?" And, and this like, is Duke Dang with Duke um, Dang. Yeah, Works and uh, Process. Works and process. Right? Yep. Shout outs to Duke. Yeah, Duke, Duke, love Duke. We love Duke. Duke is a magical person. Just, mm -hmm. just so much magic, and oh my goodness, approached me, you know, uh, and was like, "Yeah, let's set up a meeting." And so we went to the Guggenheim, sat down with uh, him and Caroline, and told him about, you know, beatboxing and street dance. I was like, "Oh, there's this great uh, project that you know I've been a part of called the Missing Element," um, and we kind of interpret the elements of nature a la our bodies um and duke was like great let's do it i was like you want to do what you want to do you want to make this a thing and so yeah it was it was awesome you yeah. know and yeah. that that's kind of how that uh began. i told anthony i was like dude it's happening this um, is the thing i could i couldn't i i, I didn't i didn't get it at first either like i was i was it was, the, I was actually working that week at the box. So keep in mind, it's really late schedule. I get home at like five, six in the morning. And he's like, we have got to come to this place in, in Midtown at like, what was it? Like noon or yeah, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like something like that. And I'm like, I'm like, I get to the elevator and I come out the elevator and there's like just people standing there waiting for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like, I'm still like wiping the crust off my <laughs> eyes and they're getting me coffee. And I'm like, okay, this is okay, this is cool. And then all of a sudden he's like, it's real. He's like in front of me, it's real. I'm like, okay. And then that's how I get to meet Duke. And, and then I'm just, I'm in such disbelief in this meeting. I swear I was in such like, I don't think this is happening. I'm still in a daze or in a dream. And then it was real. It was really real. And, and it was, um, that was a big turning point for me too. Just like in the realization of, I don't have to do a thousand performances, you know, only I can, actually you know work with chris and all these amazing people and just create something awesome right. and, and then that creates that unity mm -hmm. that so the missing element missing element have been something you guys have been working on prior to this guggenheim engagement right this was something you were developing yeah I, I, yeah I think the idea was you know we were doing it over a house of yes um and we would just have you know it's like let's put these dancers and then these beatboxers together and see what happens. So it would kind of be like a run and gun kind of kind of show, right? Yeah, it was it was like um, I was doing a lot of like annual like hip hop events, and I was kind of like I was getting a little bit with the hip hop competitions, a little like 
I don't know. It was getting too easy for me. I needed a different mm-hmm. challenge. So I, taking all the like inspiration from working at the box and all these other like uh, live theater experiences and just trying to like find a way to harmonize all these like things I've been inspired by and like being inspired by the beatboxers. And again, with all these dancers, it's just like, it was just this like situation where we wanted to have performances and then the missing element kind of provided a way for us to keep it like a, at first, like very simple, but give a little bit of direction to create some sort of like, you know, fill in the gaps. Right. Right. And it worked out so well. And, and then just being nurtured by Duke and works in process, it kind of even elevated it even more to be like grown out further, like expand, expand our branches, so to speak. And it just became like, it was, it was amazing how it, it, you keep it simple and how big it grows mm-hmm. is, is what I think about so it. Was this, was and, this initial yeah. meeting um, with works in process before the pandemic? And then, cause I know a lot of this work was done within their yeah. bubble residency. So tell us a little bit about, March 2020, and then how this project was influenced by that, frankly. Yeah. So I think we were supposed to do a run of, we were supposed to do a couple of rehearsals uh, of it and then have a run, I think, uh, sometime in, uh, in April, May. April, like May this, yeah. This, of, kind of like where we're doing it now. It seemed, it seemed like they, we were supposed to do this mm-hmm. first. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And, and then, like so the, the theater performance is how they approach mm-hmm. it and then the pandemic happened mm-hmm. shortly after. Right. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, we were like, okay, well, we're just gonna keep this on the back burner and just kinda figure out how and everyone was trying to figure out how do we pivot? What are we doing right. now? Oh my gosh, I can't leave my house. Yeah. Um and then Duke, I think around it was like January or something, it's like, okay, so we have this crazy idea. We're going to take all these artists and we're going to put them in these bubbles. Okay. And then you're going to just get to make stuff and no one's going to get to like bother you Uh for like two weeks. We're going to do all this testing. No one's ever done it before. We're going to make sure that we do this right. You will be essentially like the guinea pigs. And uh, if this works, we could provide a great model for artists and, uh, you know, other creators in residency to like continue to like be doing what they're you know kind of supposed to be doing yeah we talked with duke on the podcast around that time and he was telling us a little bit about this and it i really remember right michael it was like the first like everyone was like this is revolutionary like hearing him talk about it and then of course that became the way of like that summer into that so it it was a really big deal we forget a little bit what that time was like it was a really big deal for you guys to even have work offered to and to see people in person right it, yeah, it was it was an interesting time, I think, for everyone. And it was like for performers, especially, you know, we had no work. Right. And it, to, to emphasize on that. So it was it was Duke approached us. It was like, you, there's no one else in the world who can do this. Really? This is possible. Right. And we're like, if it's possible, we're all, of course, we want to be a part of something like that. And yeah, and, and he made it happen and, and it worked out. And it was like, it was so like such an awesome experience trip a to like create the show be with everybody it was just it was amazing and going back home was probably the hardest part for mm-hmm. me, i think because it was like you had to go back into yeah back into the out of the bubble they popped the right. bubble, and it's like and yeah but it was really 
so like I, I'm still baffled with like with everything going on, how he still managed to do what mm-hmm. he yeah. did. Yeah. And, and I'm just yeah, excited for now. Can you tell now we can, can you tell us a little bit about your creative process for this work? Or I guess in general, because you know what what both of you do while it complements one another beautifully, it of course can exist without the other. So how does right. your um collaborative process differ from what like any other project might be like if you're just dancing or you're just beatboxing you can do whatever you want but you know for this you have to work together right sure i think um so when uh anthony had a lot of the conceptual uh framework before we walked in just kind of uh and then we workshopped the concept before we even like presented it with everybody and we kind of you know in the missing element show that we did at house of yes, we kind of were like, okay, these are like, here's earth, water, wind, Mm -hmm. you know, those kind of things. Uh, but like, that just means you're with this dancer and you're with that beatboxer. This is Mm -hmm. just your number and however you want to interpret that go. But what was cool when we went to Catsman is like, we had time to actually speak on the narrative piece and workshop with each individual, uh, section, uh, with each of the artists who was working on that piece. And everybody kind of, what I think was really special about what we did at Catsman, and I think it's really, really important with our creative process, is that we're just here to facilitate their abilities. And like, because mm-hmm. I think that's the way that you get something that's truly unique. You Like you're drawing out everybody's unique, um, you know, their their own artistry and their own genius and you put it with somebody else and like here is a prompt interpret that however you want and like Mm -hmm. let's present it to each other at you know like two days and then everyone shows and then we workshop it with one another so um what's because there are a lot of shows that are very director driven you know like this is my choreography this is how i want you to hit the beats and like this is a costume and like what's Mm -hmm. different with us is like everybody contributed their you know their voice in a way that didn't have to compromise their own individuality. It was kind of, you know, it, it, it was both the individual and the group both expressed at the same time. And I think that's really apparent in our piece. And what's really special about our, about everyone that's involved too, I think is like, everybody's like at the top of their game at what they do. Mm-hmm. So that's like really, really special in that. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think you have to compromise your voice, mm-hmm. uh, and you can you can find as long as you agree with whoever you're working with uh, on how you want to tell whatever it is you want to tell mm-hmm. with that specific thing that you're doing. Like you can make magical things, and we had, you know, everyone doing that at the same time, right. both all as individuals and then as a collective. So when it comes to creating those things, just having the kind of like the blueprint and then being like, all right, go, yeah. you know, I think it's kind of the yeah. most ideal way for, for us, for what we've seen to like create. Cause it's, it was just really, really beautiful. What, what, what happened? So as I'm hearing you talk about this, um, we've already brought up Caleb Teicher. And when we talked with them, they were telling us about how in their field of tap, a lot of times there's not a lot of time when it comes to gigs. So in a lot of instances, they will just end up saying, okay, here, um, 
here's this extra time in the music, improvise now. And just to kind of like fill time, just because there isn't that rehearsal period, like we maybe are used to as ballet dancers. Yeah. So I wonder how common that is in your respective art forms. And then if that is very common, which you're nodding your heads that it is, what does it mean to have this um, time provided by works in process to really like slow down and look at it and be more analytical with it? Anthony, we'll start with you. Yeah. It, um, Having time for sure, like, is we're always pressed for time as performers, I think. And um, I think that integrates into your style and what you do in a lot of ways. But I mean, with time, having time, yeah, you can extend on the narrative. You can tell a deeper mm-hmm. layer to the, like, you could just add more layers to what you're doing. Um, and that's just like, a, even with repetition, performing the same thing over and over will help you refine it better and better. So yeah, like the process of what we do is, is kind of like that. We went from having that experience of being quick performers and not having a lot of time. And I, I mean, I was utilizing my budget from performing to do this show at house. Yes. So it's not like I have, let's go book a studio and rehearse. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, I, I don't have that kind of budget. So I was, it, you get creative with how you do things. I think in that way, with the pressure to, to just want to do something and you don't have all the, all the bells and whistles. So um, that's where the format of the show was kind of built, like you said, to be open-ended with certain things. But I think it's Mm -hmm. a responsibility as an artist and a dope artist and performer to hold your own, you know? So it's kind of like our job with Chris and I is more just kind of like, we're on the, we're like the platform to around them. and, And we're just trying to elevate this artist kind of. And we're artists too. So it's like, we need to be there to be elevating our own platform too. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's a lot to juggle, but it's, it's me and Chris have that ability, you know, I think with how we operate and we're always thinking about everything because that's just how we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, that's how we focus our, our attention on instead of having all the weight on one person's vision. Um, it kind of is like this other universe where we can do that and create a responsibility and a, and a hero for everybody to, to oh, yeah. take on the story. And it's, it's a lot of fun because it creates a lot of responsibility. And the, the more we do the show, people are, they, like, people surprise me every time we do the show because they have the ability to know what they're doing. They know who they're going to do it with. They can uh, refine it on their own times. And the, that's kind of how we realized that was like a, 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 a just an asset right now with all that's limit, limited ability to work together, you know? Right. Right. So that was, yeah, it, it's been uh, very, uh, everybody needs to contribute. And mm-hmm. I think that's the emphasis too in this. And, mm-hmm. yeah. When you look at the work that you guys do, um, it has a very like in the moment, spontaneous feel look to it. So I, I'm just curious how much of it is, improvisational or how much of it is set like is there a framework that you're working within or is it um i would say it's like kind of uh it's hard to like give an exact figure percentage kind of but i would just say like think of it kind of like we're telling this story and those are the like slow beats and then that's kind of guided more Mm because you need to hit certain moments and then when it comes down to the moments of when that person has to do what they do that's their time. Mm-hmm. That's for them. I don't, I can't tell them what to do. That's mm-hmm. not my job. That's their job to express that. And that's what hip hop taught me too. It's kind of like, that's their moment. And then right. 
playing with that idea of integrating those story moments with dope uh, expressive moments that that's what the magic I think is in a lot of ways. And then, you know, we also introduced the cipher. So it's like, you know, we're trying to educate people about things and also um, just keep things expressive at the same time. And we don't really, it's not much word or story or script to it. It's, it's like, it's um, that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Chris, from your perspective, from the beatboxing perspective, like you're creating the music, do the dancers need to know what sound is coming or are you switching it up too? Is that part of like the spontaneity of it? Um, I think just like Anthony was saying, there are definitely some uh, moments that are very scored. I was going to say rigid, but I don't like that one. <laughs> um, but like that are set, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but within specific, within you know, within other moments, it's like, this is a little open. You can mm. breathe here. Right. Um, so I think that adds a dynamic to the show where it's like, you're not going to see the same show twice. I think one of my favorite moments was when we were at Catspan and Barishnikov came by to like watch us. Yeah. And then I, th- I forgot who... I think it was uh, Sonia who came by. He's like, you know, don't be offended if he leaves because he's got another engagement right after everybody's like, oh my God, it's Bershnagoff. He's here. Oh my God, it's so crazy. <laughs> um, and then right at the end, like after we did our intro, he sat back in his chair and he was like this. Nodding his oh, head. Oh, cool. That's a, that's, a good, that's a good sign. And uh-huh. then once we finished. We're off to a good he, start, guys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Up and he was like, yes. Okay. And, and everyone looked and was like, oh my God, Bristol Cross giving us a standing ovation. And wow. Yeah. And then he came up to us after, he's like, you guys are so unique and you move, your bodies move so strange and the, all the sounds, you must wow. stick. And then he was like, you must stick together. So it was kind of like a really cool cosign from, you know, <laughs> one of the and it's fun- Yeah. <laughs> and then. It was a testament to just like the the process is working and uh, just having like everything Anthony was saying, just like mm-hmm. the having the structure, but allowing everyone really to like play and like express in a way that's not restrictive, but also giving it a little bit of a form so that everyone can follow, um, made it accessible to everyone. Yeah. that. Right. Well, it sounds like such a unique night. and I hope that everyone in the New York area will come out and see it. But before we let you go, can you tell us just a little bit about what New York audiences can expect from their experience that night? What is the missing element? <laughs> I mean, it's what are they expecting to see? Expect to see amazing dancing. Expect to see amazing beatboxers. Expect to see the combination of both. Um, it's it's a it's um that expression of hip hop with uh, a lot of like play with um, this artistic theme, the missing element. And it's a lot of fun to be a part of uh, with all these people. And I'm just excited that we've gotten to this point where we're going to do it at finally in the theater mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. can't wait for people to see it. Um, yeah. And then we're also going to have a panel too, I think uh, discussion, right, Chris there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and it's an evening endorsed by Barishnikov, and we know it will be wonderful. And I think it's just always so great to hear what's happening at Works in Process because it's so much more than just that end goal of the performance that the audience right. sees. There's really so much 
um, that goes into it. And also just offering you guys this opportunity to work together and hone your craft and, and change like this. My guess would be this experience has changed how you will work moving forward and offer new opportunities for you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.